Welcome to the Institute, a podcast on the lives and works of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, communication specialist Clay speaks with distinguished professor of philosophy, Jeffrey Sarah McCord. In their conversation, Professor Sarah McCord discusses being a director of the Philosophy, Politics, and Economics program at UNC. He also discusses how he became a scholar in philosophy and the works of his favorite philosophers. I do want to talk about PPE. You are the director of the UNC Philosophy, Politics, and Economics program. Tell me about that because it's an interesting combination of themes. The title comes from Oxford University, which introduced a PPE program in 1920. And it has become the primary pipeline for people who go into government or into business or into non-governmental charitable organizations. Overwhelmingly, they went to Oxford and did PPE. The basic idea of the way we do PPE, having stolen the label, we're quite a bit different than Oxford. How so? Uh, Oxford is mainly parallel play. So you'll do a course in each Uh and you'll continue with maybe two lines of study rather than three. But there's not courses designed to integrate the three together. So here's how I like to describe what we're about. The three areas, philosophy, especially moral and political philosophy, Mm -hmm. economics and political science, share a common object of study and interest, our formal and informal social and political institutions. Each of them shines a very bright light on that terrain. So economics casts this really sharp light on formal and informal social interactions. It gets us to see things that without the tools of economics we'd miss. It helps us understand markets, incentives, equilibriums, but on purpose and self-consciously doesn't talk about justice, Mm -hmm. rights, liberty. So in casting this bright light on this terrain, it casts a long shadow of topics it just doesn't deal with. Political science focuses really sharply on the nature of institutions, political and social, how they get established, how they shape opportunities in a way that economics tends to ignore. But political scientists don't talk about markets hardly ever. Mm -hmm. They tend to assume that once you get the right institution, everyone's incentives will align and both the solutions and the problems are in in the institutions themselves. So they shine this very bright light, letting us see institutional structures that philosophers and economists just tend to ignore. But they cast a long shadow. No talk of markets, little attention to incentives, and only a cursory discussion of justice and rights and liberty, except as their historical or political institutions. Philosophers talk ad nauseum (laughs) about justice and rights and liberty, but they tend to ignore real-world institutions, perverse incentives, market structures, political 
authority and organizations. So they cast a really bright light on how to understand value, how to think about justice, but cast this long shadow, a shadow that keeps us from being able to understand the world we're living in. So you bring the three together, and they don't eliminate all the shadows, but they greatly minimize them. One of the things I'm proudest about is the extracurricular activities. So we have a very active speaker series, and we get 60 to 80 students at almost every event. And we have weekend seminars where students either come and hear a panel of interesting speakers. We did one here at the uh, at Hyde Hall on happiness and well-being, and we had four world-famous scholars in the area talking with a, a room full of students. Or we run intensive seminars where students are given reading in advance. They do the reading and they come and they spend a day talking with other smart students about the issues with a discussion leader. And we also have reading groups that meet for eight weeks during the semester at a local restaurant. We provide the books. The students uh, go into a back room. The menu is set by the owner. It changes each week. And they talk with each other, with a discussion leader, about a book. Almost no courses now give students an opportunity to spend that much time with a book. We do it. There's no credit for these things. It's completely extracurricular. But it gives students a chance to think about interesting topics in depth with other interesting students. Wow, that is great. And also amazing because you are currently also the director of the Associate Professors Program. And uh, I am. similarly, there, I hear some, uh, some similarities in the uh, getting together over food. Um. <laughs> <laughs> there is that theme in my life. Yes. For those that don't know, could you talk a little bit about the Associate Professors Program? So this is a program that's inspired by the evidence that after getting tenure, there's this window where people can find themselves stalled or find themselves overwhelmed because one thing that happens when you get tenure is immediately now people are asking you to do much more administrative work than uh, they were asking you to do before. And because you're now tenured, there's a sense of responsibility to take up more of these roles. And if you do all that and you lose the spark on your research, it's, it's easy to be caught in the doldrums. That's one thing that there seems to be a lot of data on across universities. This is not a special problem at UNC, but it's striking that UNC has taken the lead in paying attention to how can we help people at this crucial point. And there are different ways to do it. There are some other schools that have various programs, but the way I've been doing it here is convening dinners at local restaurants where we address different topics. And I have to say which topics we address and in how much detail depends very much on the constitution of the group. But one of the things we talk a fair amount about is what's the difference between what it took to become tenured and what it takes to become a full professor? Uh, how can a person manage the demands of being a more senior faculty member 
and a family member and a member of one's community and a researcher. Probably the single best thing about it, from my point of view, is that people who have spent their whole time within their department working to get tenure get introduced to other people at basically the same career stage, facing the same kind of challenges, different for different departments, different for different people, but meeting them across the campus. And that's been really wonderful to watch. I think some nice friendships have been forged over that and in the friendship, new opportunities. I have to ask, because your, your, uh, your field is philosophy, who are your favorite philosophers or philosophies? Easier to answer who are my favorite philosophers. Okay. I would say first for who he was, David Hume, but also for how he writes and also for the riches not yet successfully mined from what he's written. I think David Hume is just magnificent. But I love and regularly teach Plato and Aristotle, John Stuart Mill and Immanuel Kant. So in my introduction to ethics, there's no Hume. There used to be decades ago, and I just came to the view that the four books I do teach with supplementary material makes for a unified whole. And Hume is too different from them to fit comfortably. What an objective approach to your, to your teaching, even though you, lo you love Hume. What work of his would you recommend for someone curious about Hume based on this interview, for example? If not already a philosopher and wondering about the man, I would read his very short autobiography written in effect on his deathbed. It's magnificent and it conveys his character. I think I would recommend dipping into his essays. He has short essays on skepticism. Standard of taste is quite beautiful and interesting. I, I think that's what I'd recommend. The two books of Hume for those interested in philosophy that I'd recommend are The Inquiry Concerning Human Understanding and the inquiry concerning the principles of morals. How did you decide that philosophy was the field for you? I'm from an academic family. So both of my parents were sociologists. When I went to college, I thought, I'm going to study sociology. I saw the beauty in it, saw the importance in it, took a sociology course, and there was an assignment. And the assignment was to choose an article dealing with the issues that we were talking about in class and write a critical review. And I wrote a critical review and I got it back and the comments, such as they were on the paper, suggested that I had misunderstood something important about the article. So I went to go talk to the professor and the first thing the professor said is, why are you coming in? You got a good grade. And I said, well, I'm not here about the grade. I'm here because I think I misunderstood the article, given what you said. And I showed him the article, and I showed him what he had said, and I explained that, well, I thought what I was saying here was right because of what happens here in the article. And he looked at the article and said, oh, yeah, I, I guess you're right. I, I shouldn't have said that. 
And that was all fine. That was great. Until he went on to say, I, didn't ha I don't have time to read the articles ahead of time when I'm doing the commenting and the grading. At which point, now you're not saying, I made a mistake. You're saying, I'm not doing the work that it takes to do my job responsibly. And so I thought, I should study somewhere else. And so I tried psychology, cl very close to sociology, had a very good reputation. At the time, the psychology department was very proud of its having successfully put together self-paced modules. So you'd go to well-done lectures, and then you'd do these modules, and you'd take a test. You'd move through the course, and I enjoyed it. But at the same time, I never felt I was learning something deep that I wouldn't learn more casually. There were some cute things about you know, how people dramatically overestimate their own attractiveness and how important that is for them doing well. And these are cute, important things. And I still read psychology a lot. But at the same time, I was taking a course I just didn't understand called Recent and Contemporary Analytic Philosophy. Everybody we were reading had been dead for decades, so I didn't know what recent and contemporary meant. <laughs> and nobody explained what analytic philosophy was. I didn't even know what the contrast was. I was reading this material, and I just was not getting it. And it was a course I shouldn't have been in, so it was a senior course, and I was still in my first year. And so I spent the summer rereading the stuff and talking through it with my mom. And all of a sudden, I got to see what was really going on. And the experience was like, I'll, I'll allude to something that really captures it for me, but most people won't know this experience. For a while, there was a fad called Magic Eye Books and Paintings. These were pieces of artwork that when you looked at them, they were just a mess of colors. But if you managed to misfocus on them in the right way, they snapped into a crystal clear three-dimensional picture. It's an astounding experience. That's what philosophy is like for me. There's a mess of ideas out there about how we should act, how we should treat each other, about our position in relation to the rest of the world. There are all these ideas about it. And it, if you think hard, what philosophy lets you do is start to see a structure there. It sort of snaps into shape. And you see the connections between ideas that were just another color. I love that experience, and it, it continues to be the experience I seek actively. And that's when I knew I wanted to do philosophy if I could get away with it. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. My pleasure. There's another version of the story. <laughs> Go. I went to my first year introduction <laughs> yeah. to philosophy class, and there was this woman sitting up there. I sat in the back of the class. This woman sat like three rows from the front. You know what kind of student she must have been. You know what kind of student I was. I wanted to get to know her. I eventually married her, much to my great pleasure. I think that my first philosophy course was a philosophy course in which she was sitting. 
couldn't have helped but help me like <laughs> philosophy. The truth. The truth, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. That was great. Thank you. Oh, good. Was that, that was fun. what you need? Yes. Check back at ih.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IH underscore UNC.